Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au. Praise God. God is, God is good, isn't he? You know, I want to introduce somebody to you, but before I call him up here, I, I want to tell you a little bit about him. You know, I went into South Sudan uh, 23 years ago, the end of this year. And uh, when I went in there, there was one guy that I first met, and that's who I'm going to have come up. Ben, come on up. Uh, this is Ben. <clears throat> and uh, he was one of the very first guys that I met when I come into South Sudan. And then we worked together for nearly two decades. How long have you been in Australia now? Uh, one year and eight months. Okay, so we worked together over two decades. And now he's here in Australia, and he, uh, he's, he's hoping to become an Australian. He left me. <laughs> but the farm, I just wanted to let you know on the video we're going to watch a little bit later, shows a farm. That farm was started with Ben right beside of me. There was no buildings. It was bush, huh, Ben? There was bush and tree. <laughs> Nobody there. Actually, it snakes. was snakes and wild animals and sometimes... Big snakes, though. Big snakes and so many, and mosquitoes, you know, biting you. Many bad things are there. Oh. Yeah, that was the beginning. Thank you. <laughs> but ben, uh, ben actually started it, but since Ben left, he didn't see all the big buildings that were built, the small buildings. Ben worked on them. Ben is the one that started the ground. He done the work. This is no lie. See, one thing about me is I don't lie. I might. Uh, I always tell people, don't ask me if you're pretty, because if you're ugly, I might tell you you're pretty ugly. But uh, uh, Ben done the work of three and four men when we started that farm. And I'm so proud to see that he's here in Australia. And I'm proud to see he's working on being uh, an Australian citizen. Because, you know, this is what we need. We, I mean, come on. We got people coming into America all around the world. But listen, we need to support Christians when they're coming in. Because if we don't, we'll be overcome by people that's not Christians. Thank you, Ben. God bless you. But hey, God is so good. I, I was so blessed. Uh, I heard I was going to see Ben on this trip, but I didn't realize he was coming here this morning. So when I seen him out there, I was so blessed because we, we cried together. We prayed together. Ben's an unbelievable preacher. The, uh, so I put him in college for a couple years to be a preacher. So maybe the pastor, you want to talk to him sometime. If you're going to do any kind of a study on Sudan, you need to hear this guy preach. But anyways, I want to talk to you a little bit about the work in Africa. I don't want to focus. How many seen the movie Machine Gun Preacher? Okay, a lot of you. I don't want to focus too much on the movie because I believe sometime we focus too much on the past. Now, the movie had a lot of things that made it not very accurate. You know, a lot of people say, well, I had a problem with this. I had a problem with this. I had a problem with most of it, okay? Because once you sell your life rights to Hollywood, you lose your life rights. 
But if you have the opportunity to buy the book, Another Man's War, the, how many has read the book, Another Man's War? That's what the movie is based off of. I sold that book to Hollywood, and then Hollywood comes in, and they do a movie, and they put a twist to the truth. But there is a part two should be in production in about another year, way more accurate than the first movie, Machine Gun Preacher. But it started in South Sudan with one uh, orphanage in a village called Nimali. And Nimali uh, was a battlefield. Where the orphanage was started, it was literally a battlefield. And I can remember we were driving down the road one day and we were, we were off looking for children that were being hurt and attacked by the LRA. And we were driving down this road and all of a sudden, or the, not a road, it was just a bush, and I heard God say, stop. And I stopped and we jumped out of the car. I grabbed my AK and we're walking around because I'm thinking God wants me to fight, I guess, you know. So, and all of a sudden God says, this is where I want the children's village. And I'm thinking, God, you know where I'm at? God, your GPS must be all messed up because we're in the middle of a battlefield. And God said, no, this is where I want the children's village. So about a week or so later, we started building this children's village. About a week after we started, the government comes. They said, Sam, you can't build this, this orphanage here. The rebels are going to kill you. I threw my tools down. I said, I know. Tell God. Tell God. I don't want to build it here. But we started this orphanage in the middle of the bush, in the middle of a battlefield, to this day, it's one of the largest working orphanages in South Sudan. And I remember when it started, you know, I get Christian people come up to me all the time and say, God gave me a vision. God gave me a vision. And as soon as God gives me the money, I'm going to step out. I'm going to do it. You're probably not going to do nothing. Okay, God don't give you a vision and then just open up, the, open up the windows of heaven to just pour money out. That's not how he works. How he works is he'll give us a vision and he wants to see how you are going to handle that vision. Are you willing to give up everything you got to have it done? And that's what he did to me. But it started with one orphanage with no money. The first few buildings that we built were built out of mud, sticks, and grass because there was no money. We couldn't even afford a bag of cement back then. But we stayed steadfast. We stayed focused. And then when God seen we was serious, guess what he did? He got serious. And that's how God works. You know, a lot of times we start this church thing and we start thinking that God is a genie in a bottle. We rub the bottle, he'll pop out and fix it. That's not what God does. God wants to see how serious you are, then he gets serious with us. Now this orphanage has a church that seats over 600 people. It has a, a, a kitchen that can cook for over 250 people at a time. It has a school. It has a library. It has dormitories. And guess what? They're all built out of cement because God got serious when he seen us. But it started with one orphanage. Now it led to five orphanages. We work in Ethiopia. Uganda and South Sudan. 
But see, there's something about an orphanage that most of you probably never heard before. If you're in an orphanage in a third world country, you have to leave at 15 years old. Can you imagine that? You don't, you, you don't even have an education yet. And at 15 years old, you got to leave and 70% of those children end up in prostitution. Now, when I say what I'm going to to you now, a lot of church people get upset with me. But you know my famous words? I don't really care. I'm leaving in one hour. But a lot of times I put the blame on the church. And the church stands back and they say, how can you put the blame on us? Why are you always blaming us? Because 98% of those orphanages are built by the church. The only thing I'm saying, we need to examine we need to examine where we are investing our money. You know, there's so many times church people say, well, God told me to give it. I'm just giving it. Now it's up to them to make sure they spend it right. If they don't spend it right, it's on. No, that's not true. It's up to you to look how your money is being spent. So what I've seen over the years is we have these little kids. We bring in, we rescue them as little kids. We raise them up to 15 years old, they, and then we put them out of the orphanage. More than likely, 70% will go into prostitution. Within two to four years, they die of AIDS. There's more than just an orphanage. If we're going to change a nation, it begins with education and then teaching a skill and a trade. When you teach a skill and a trade in education, you begin giving people a future. When you begin giving people a future, then you can stand back and you can say you're changing nations. So we started three major big projects to train people. Now we have all kinds of other projects. We have a tour company. We, we have restaurants. But the three projects I want to tell you about are massive projects. And maybe there's some of you here today and you might say, well, you know, I'm having kind of a hard thing with this God thing. It's just kind of hard to believe. You need to see these projects. The first project I want to talk about is the one in Ethiopia. I want you to imagine being 51 years old and God puts a massive vision on you. A six-story building, more than two million U.S. dollars. You have no money, you have no land. I started thinking the board of directors are always on me. Sam, you can't do this, you can't do this. Sam, maybe you're getting yourself in too deep. So I figured, all right, God, I'll just go to the board of directors. I'm thinking in my head the board's going to say, no, you can't do it. So I go to the board and I tell them, look, God just put this massive vision on me, six-story building. And I'm hoping they're going to say, oh, you can't do that. And what do they say? We got your back. I'm like, why? Why would you say that? You know, at 50 years old in America, it's time to go fishing. It's time to go hunting. It's time to relax a little bit. And here they put this vision on me. But what started out as a vision with no money because God had his hand in it is now reality. The building is built from the footer to the roof. The doors and windows are in. The wiring is done. They're putting on the floor now the tile. We hope to have this building up and fully running by the end of next year. First floor is a commercial bakery. Second floor is a restaurant and a few other businesses. Third floor and fourth floor is a hotel. 
Fifth floor is sectioned off into business rentals. Sixth floor is rooftop dining. But the building is built as a training center for young people from 16 to 26 years old. Now, one of our projects that we started a number of years ago, and Ben was the one that started this project with me. And a matter of fact, Kevin, wave your hand back there. I believe Kevin was with us on that project too. We all went to this project at the same time. I want you to imagine going into the bush where the weeds was this high. Am I right, guys? The weeds was that high. We had nothing. There was no building. There was no well. There was no nothing there. Nothing. No water around. We had to carry our water for miles and miles. But when you see what God did, you got to remember, God needs vessels. God needs vessels like you for him to perform his miracles. Now this project is amazing. 2016, the farm alone gave away 25 ton of rice in 2016. Plus, we filled our own storehouses. We gave away 15 ton of pumpkins, 10 ton of potatoes. That's what we gave away. In 2017, our harvest was over 125 ton. That's what God does if we're willing to put our life into his hands. <clears throat> Another thing we done, you know, I don't know if you know much what happens to young ladies. And I don't know why this is. And maybe here today I can start something new in this church if you feel led to do this. But I got to ask this question. We have projects for little kids, boys and girls alike. We have projects for kids 10, 11, 12 years old, 13 years old, boys and girls alike. Then we have projects for young men. But where are the projects for young ladies? You know, if you're in a country that had a civil war, a young lady that was used as a sex slave or a wife to the rebels, she can't even go back to her own village. Her own people, her own family, her own tribe, they don't want her there because they believe she's going to bring bad spirits back to the village. So what they'll do is they shun her. They make her go away. These young women are in their 20s. They were victims of war for many years, even a decade or longer. They don't know how to read. They don't know how to write. They have no education. They have no skills, no trade. The only thing they know is how to sweep out a grass hut with a dirt floor. The only thing they know is how to make rice and potia and maybe beans. They have no other skills. So we knew we had to do something. So we built a two-story house, six-bedroom, four-bathroom on the farm. And then we built cottages on the side, fully self-sustained. So we bring in these women. We teach them all the skills they need to know to work in a hotel. But see, there's a lot of ladies that have that skill. But we wanted to go a little bit further. So we started teaching them how to make Spanish omelets, how to make eggs benedict, how to make French toast, how to make pancakes. And I believe that the world today, we got to stop handing fish out 
and we got to start teaching people how to fish. And it's working. We have success story after success story from these women. Some of them got jobs in four-star hotels in the capital city. One young girl recently went into Gulu and opened up her own restaurant. And what does she specialize in? Breakfast. So it's amazing the stories that's happening. But we need more of these stories. You know, a lot of people, they look at the projects and hear me talk and they say, so Sam, you want us to do what you're doing? No. I want you to think of something better. But let's stop wasting our money in these countries doing these little projects and let's help to create a structure. You know, Africa has all the resources they need to function on their own. They don't need us but they need us to teach structure. And that structure begins by teaching people the ropes of business. One of our newest projects is Angel's Truck Stop. This is a truck stop along a main highway that's connecting many countries together in northern Uganda. This is like, I wanna say American style truck stop, but I can't, I'm in Australia. So I'm gonna say Aussie style truck stop. You know how the truck stops are so beautiful. They're, they're supermarket, they're, they're restaurants. Some of them even got hotels, motels. This one here is on a 12-acre piece of ground. It has a six-bay garage going up. They do everything from change tires to sell tires to change motors to work on cars and trucks. But it has a hotel, motel. It has one restaurant where you can get a plate of beans and a, and a hunk of posha or some rice. But then it has another restaurant where you can go get a pizza and a T-bone. The place is built to supply everyone's need from the villager down to the tourist. There's motel, hotel, swimming pool, everything you can think of in a truck stop. But what's so amazing about this truck stop is within two years of this thing coming done, it should self-support all five orphanages that we have, the money that will be made from this truck stop. So if you're interested in this, you can ask us for a pamphlet afterwards. But, you know, on top of all of that, I try to get people to really look. You know, if you're going to invest money or your time or even invest awareness in an organization, you need to know what they do and are they really doing it. I know how important education is. No one come up to me and said, you know, Sam, there's some bad stuff on the Internet on you. You need to build a school and make you look good. No. I know how important education is. Over the years, we have built seven schools. We're building number eight school right now out at the farm. We have drilled over 40 wells. You know, if you're here today and you want to lay your head down at night and you want to know in your heart that you have saved thousands of people, I'm going to tell you to drill a well. One well can save thousands of people's lives. We have repaired over two dozen wells over the years. Now, I'm going to let you watch a short video. It's about two minutes, three minutes long. And then I'm going to let you ask me some questions. But you're going to see the three major projects. And at the end, you're going to see one of the biggest things that's the closest to my heart is our feeding program of little children. You know, we're feeding right now to this day over 12,000 meals a day. And guess what it started with? 
It started with 21 children we started to feed. Now we're feeding over 12,000 meals a day. Let's go ahead and watch the video. Hey there everyone, Sam Childers, Machine Gun Preacher. I want to give you an update on all the work that's been done over this past year, right up to June 2018. But first I want to say to everyone out there, thank you for your support. All of our friends, all of our family, all the people that have supported us for so many years, none of this work could have been done without you. Thank you. The first project I want to share with you today is the Ethiopian Project. This project has been going on for nearly five years, but it's a massive building. Keep in mind, it's a six-story building that's being used to train young people. The first floor is a commercial bakery. The second floor is a restaurant, a few other small businesses. Third floor and fourth floor is a hotel. Half of the fourth floor will be used to bring in 50 to 60 young people from 16 years old to 26 years old. The fifth floor will be sectioned off in the business rentals where we'll even put some of these young people in the business. The sixth floor is rooftop dining, but the entire building is built to give young people a future. If we can teach a skill and give someone a trade, we have gave them a future. Our second project I wanna share with you about, and many of you have been watching for about four years now, is our commercial farm in Northern Uganda. All the workers on this farm, and there's nearly 70 people working there now, are all victims of war. These are people that would not have a future unless we teach them a skill and a trade. But this farm is doing amazing things. We got the workshop up, we got the storage building up, we got four tractors now. We got all types of farming equipment. We have a lot of things to do yet, but the produce that's coming off this farm is amazing. In Christmas of 2016, we fed over 18,000 people in a refugee camp. 2017, our rice harvest was over 125 tons. That's not including the pumpkin, that's not including the potatoes, tomatoes, onions. It's just amazing what this farm is doing. Even the cattle, our goats, everything keeps multiplying and multiplying, but that's all because of your support. One of our newest projects that's being done in Northern Uganda is Angel's Truck Stop and Training Center. We believe over the next two years, we'll be working at least 100 people that are all victims of war. This project right now, there's one little piece that's up and running. We have a restaurant working and we have several hotel rooms that are up. This project is already bringing in money, but the big thing we're hoping to do over the next few months is put the service station for selling fuel. We're putting in a supermarket. We're putting in a major workshop for working on cars, working on trucks. And over the next two years, we're building a two-story hotel with a swimming pool. As I said, this project over the next year should work at least 100 people that are all victims of war. Everything I've been talking about is projects that you've been supporting, and it's also training people, giving them a future. 
On top of all of that, we're up to feeding over 12,000 meals a day. I got to say, thank you. God bless. God has been so good. <clears throat> now, I got to ask you, did anybody here ever Google machine gun preacher? A few of you. Okay. You know, when you get on the Internet and you Google me, the Internet says I'm the most controversial preacher in the world. The Internet says I'm the most talked about preacher in the world. There's good stories and there's bad stories on the Internet. So I believe if I come into your country, I come into your town, I come into your venue, I come into your church to share about the work I do in Africa, I believe you should be allowed to ask me any question you would like to ask. So I'm going to let you ask me some questions. Make sure they're one question. This is not testimony time, okay? So this is not time for you to talk about your project. This is time for you to ask any question you like. You can ask anything about my past, anything about my personal life, anything about money. You got to remember, at the end, I'm going to be asking you to sew into our work. So you can ask anything about money, anything about the movie Machine Gun Preacher, anything about these projects, Who's got the first question? All right, they're getting, we got, a, we got a runner there. Somebody over here, you can put your hand up, they'll get ready for you next. Hi, Sam, thanks for being here today. I just want to know if you run short-term mission trips um, for people to um, serve and contribute to Absolutely. the work you do. Absolutely, we do about four per year. There's been, there was a lady in the first service, I didn't get to speak to her, but she was, on a mission trip, is she still here, the lady that just recently? But yes, we do, we do four trips per year, July, October, December, and January. There's been well over 100 Australians come to our, our project, so yes, you can. It don't, it don't matter the age. Go to the website, click on machine gun, or excuse me, chick. Go to the website, machinegunpreacher.org, click on mission trips. You can begin talking to the U.S. office. I don't want to tell you anything else because I'll tell you wrong. They usually tell me in the main office, Sam, you need to just tell them to get a hold of us because I end up saying something wrong. But we can use you for sure. Somebody else. Way over here. Wait till the mic comes. I need a mic, okay? I, and you got to speak really loud. I'm very hard of hearing. I was married over 30 years. <laughs> Some of you got that. Yes. Um, I don't have many <coughs> questions, but I just got a bit of advice. Mm. Don't grow strawberries. No. Well, we need to pray. I tell you what I definitely want to say, you know. The enemy will try to attack us all. And, you know, and I, I listen, I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm going back to Africa. Africa is my home. But I want to say something to all of you Australians. Because of one stupid person starting some stupid stuff, we still need to support our country. You know, and like when it comes to mission work, mission work begins where? At home. And, you know, strawberries, what I'm going to tell you, Buy them so we can support those farmers. Cut them up, okay? Cut them up. And, and something else, you know, I know the farmers are having it really tough here now, especially the dairy farmers. Let's support them. You know, I, I was really happy to see they raised a, uh, the, uh, they ended up raising the price of milk. 
Come on, we got to support one another, you know. So I loved when I seen they raised the, the milk up 30 cent for a big jug. Come on, that's not even that much money. But you got to remember, what goes around comes around. And if we support somebody else there today, there's going to come a day we're going to need support. And hopefully our friends and family and country is going to support us too. Somebody else, come on, let's do some questions real quick before I get to the word. Got one right here. Okay. Let's just Sam for your work. Um, I really wanted to um, just ask you around the administrative side of things. Like you got, you got paid staff, and, and you know how many staff of yours are paid? Okay, and let me also ask, let me answer that yep. one because I got short term. Uh, I got short term. I don't remember very good. Okay, yeah, I work in Africa alone, East Africa alone. I work over 440 people a day on a payroll. I own a security company. The security company alone is 265 people a day just in security. We own restaurants. We have the farm. So all the other workers, we believe by next year, because God keeps, God keeps his favor upon this work, we believe by the end of next year we'll be working well over 600 people a day. They are not volunteers. They are all on a payroll as well. Go ahead. You have volunteers as well, yeah. <clears throat> uh, no, now volunteers. I can uh, now I consider people like you short-term mission trips. The we don't work any volunteers from Africa. We everyone is on a payroll there. Uh, people need to work in Africa. There are no jobs, so we need to create jobs. When we create sensible jobs, then we're starting to create a structure. That's what Africa needs. I say this all the time. Africa has everything it needs to function on its own. The only thing they need is structure, and that's what we're trying to build. That's amazing. <coughs> um, that's the, the reason I was asking, because, you know, obviously, if, if we were to, we haven't funded you before, but if, we'd like, if we want to fund you, you know, is it possible that, you know, on a monthly basis we can see how, you know, things yep. are... Yep, you can do it on a monthly basis. You know, I want to tell you just how I am. If you're here today and you want to write us a check, just sign it. We'll pray over it. I'll fill it out later. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good deal, ain't it? That's pretty good. The pastor's already going to do that. Now, go ahead. A couple more questions. Boy, now the hands are going up. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah bless you, Sam. Um, I was wondering if you can just give us a glimpse into your personal prayer life. and your, My personal? Your personal prayer life. Okay. And your prayer network over in Africa and how you combat what's going on and all the, the jealousy that's going on and the envy that's going on and right. perhaps even the terrorism that's going on there and the Well, networks. let me, buddy, you're doing like 10 questions there. <laughs> wow. You know, let me just talk about, okay, uh, I'll get right to the prayer life. To start with, I'm not some religious person. I'm not a Bible thumper. But I believe in the Word of God, and I believe what it says. And it says we should pray without ceasing. But see, my prayer life is not some prayer life where i got to kneel down and start quoting scriptures and act religious. My prayer life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
and I talk to him just like he's my friend. And you know when I talk to him the most when I'm riding my motorcycle down the highway. You know, so that's my prayer life. And I believe it's all the time, everywhere, no matter where I am. Now, if I have the opportunity to kneel down beside of my bed and, and end up doing a good old-fashioned prayer, I'll do it. But my prayer life is all the time. You know, people say, well, what about reading the Word of God? I cannot lie to no one. There is days that I don't open up the Word of God. You know, let's be for real. Don't, don't try to act religious with me. There is days that we don't open it up. But then there is days that when I open it, I dwell in it and I read it and I read it. But I try to smother every day into doing the work of Jesus Christ. And what is the work of Jesus Christ? What is the, the only real religion out there? Taking care of widows and orphans. That's what the word says. And all of our projects, you know, I love to say, people say, well, how do, you, how do you conduct your prayer life or the children's life on the orphanage? In South Sudan, there is no internet. There is no TV. Children have a relationship with Jesus because there is no internet. There is no video games. There is no TV, and some of you say, oh, I don't, I think, we, listen, I like TV too, okay? I like to watch cops. Y'all ever watch cops? I like to watch border control. But anyways, you know, our children in Sudan, there's no adult tells them, all right, you kids, before school, you got to go and pray in the church. They do it on their own. There's nobody that tells the children every, every night, y'all need to go to the church and sing and beat on your drums. Nobody tells them that. They do it on their own. And they do it seven days a week. I mean, you got children that has a fire for God. And I believe there's children here in Australia that got a fire for God, but they also got a fire for the video game. All right, somebody else. Yeah, Sam. Well, first of all, love what you're doing over there, and this question I've got for you is about your past. When you're an outlaw biker, when did you feel God call you? When was the moment you really felt God was alive? Because obviously, well, I don't want to, I don't want to disappoint you or anybody else, but I'm still an outlaw biker. <laughs> now I'm a chaplain for him, and so I still ride with a club. I'm a chaplain, and I'm not going to give it up. That's my life. You know, you can't be a real biker, a real biker for almost all your life. I got my first motorcycle when I was seven years old, and you just can't give it up, okay? It's, it's in you. It's bred in you. You know, it's kind of like being a hillbilly. Is there any hillbillies in here? Hey. Any hillbillies? I, some of you look like hillbillies. <laughs> I'm a hillbilly, all right. But no, I'm still, uh, I still ride with a club. I am a chaplain for many different clubs. I don't want to go anywhere else. But I'm going to tell you something. There's something happening in the outlaw bike clubs in America. And I believe it's not happening in Australia because nobody gave them the opportunity. But, you know, the Banditos do a ride for me almost every year. The last ride they did for us in Texas, was there 11 chaplains on that ride, Kev? 11 chaplains on the ride. 
Two years ago, the HA has done a charity ride for me on the East Coast. And they asked me, they said, uh, they said to Kevin, they said, is there any way Sam can come over to our clubhouse and bar and preach Sunday morning? And Kevin said, well, he, I think he's booked in a church. I told Kevin, cancel the church. And I went to the famous bar. Some of you probably heard of it. And I got hacked on by Christians, but I always give them my famous words. I don't really care. I'm leaving in about an hour. But the bar is called Suck, Bang, Blow. Can I even say that in the church? <laughs> Suck, bang, blow. I just said, oh, sorry. But anyways, it's the name of a bar, and it's a famous HA bar, and you'll never believe this. People got saved that morning. People got saved that morning sitting at the bar. You know, so there's something happening in the biker world. Every outlaw club that I know have chaplains now. And they're full patch chaplains. So it's like there's a revival going on. I remember when I first started preaching, I used to tell the bikers, listen, you can, you can learn something from the church. Now I tell the church, you can learn something from the one percenters. Loyalty. Loyalty. All right, somebody else. Let's do one more. Go ahead. Um. Do the rebels try to attack your buildings and tear them down? <clears throat> you know, in the movie, Machine Gun Preacher movie, it showed the rebels attacking the orphanage. And uh, they attacked the orphanage over the years three times. They never made it through a bamboo fence. See, Hollywood, that wasn't good enough for them. The Hollywood didn't want to hear about God's miracles. So Hollywood made it... And it showed that they burnt the orphanage to the ground. Not true. They could never get through a bamboo fence. You know, I want to get right into the message. I'll be around afterwards if anybody has another question. But I want to talk a little bit here today about blessings. You know, I mentioned this morning I was talking about, you know, y'all can have the blessings, okay? I want God's favor upon my life. But what I'm talking about here today is God's blessings. And you know, blessings come when we hang around with serious people. You know, and I'm not saying that we got to make all new friends, but what I am saying is we need to be very careful who we hang around. We need to be very careful who we spend all of our spare time with. And I want to ask you, is the people, your friends that you're, that you're spending all your extra time with, are they serious people? Because serious people is a beginning to your blessings that can come from God. Blessings depend on people who we hang with, people who we run with. Blessings also depend on being, or excuse me, who we hang with depends on our successfulness. You know, I always like to tell this one story, and you'll know I'm Pentecostal when I tell this story. Did you ever have an outer body experience? Anybody? Come on, don't be ashamed of it. An outer body experience, that's where something crazy in the spirit world will happen to you. I remember one day before God was getting this message ready for me, I had this 
uh, outer body experience, and I was in a really big building, a humongous building that was under roof. And it was like I was up in the air floating around. I know you're thinking, wow, he must have been on some good stuff. But anyways, I was up in the air floating around, and I'm watching all these people down below me. And there was a bunch of people there shooting archery, and they were shooting bow and arrow. And all these kids were lined up, and the targets were at the other end of the building, and everyone's shooting bow and arrow. But there was one girl that I kind of zeroed in on, and, and I, was, uh, I was just watching her, and every arrow was hitting the bullseye, every time hitting the bullseye. I mean, every time. She was splitting arrows. Nobody was shooting like this girl. And she was a little petite little thin little girl. You know, you would even wonder how is she even pulling that bow back? But every time she's hitting the target. And finally I seen they were all done shooting and there was a young guy over there talking to this girl. So I kind of zeroed in on them both and I was, I was kind of like hovering up in the rafters over top of them. And I heard the guy speaking to this girl. And the guy said, how, how can you do that? How can you shoot like that? And the girl said, what do you mean? And, and he said, no, come on. He said, I want to know how can you shoot like that every time. Every time you're hitting the target. Every time you're hitting the bullseye. You're splitting the arrows. How are you doing it? And she said, well, you know, everyone in the school was called. Everyone in the school was called. And then the school chose a few people. She said, the only thing that I did was I got serious about my calling. When they called me, I started practicing because I wanted to be the best. I started seeking God to be the very best that I could. And she said, and you had the same calling. But I want to ask you, did you get serious with your calling? And the guy turned his face and kind of looked up in the rafters where I was. And here when I looked down, I seen it was me when I was a kid. You know, the Bible says that we're all called, but few are chosen. Now, you mean to tell me that God's going to call everybody in the house here today, but he's only going to choose a couple? No. He's going to choose everyone that's willing to stand up and say, here I am, God. Here I am, God. You know, I want to tell you a, a story here in the Word, Mark chapter 2. And it's titled in my Bible, Jesus Heals a Paralyzed Man. Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 2. Soon the house where they were uh, staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. You know, I'm talking here today about hanging with serious people. So you got four men. I want you to imagine this. Four men, 
carrying a mat. One paralyzed man on the mat. So there's five of them. Who do you think was the most serious of the five? The one on the mat. See, the one on the mat, he was probably thinking that day he heard Jesus Christ was down the road going to be preaching. So he probably started thinking, I got to get down there. I got to get down there. So he probably pulled his cell phone out and he started going through all of his contacts. He's going through his contacts trying to find serious friends. And he probably eliminated probably several hundred because he had a lot of friends that he could not depend on. There was only very few. He struggled and he struggled and he struggled to come up with four guys that he could make a phone call and say, hey man, listen, uh, uh, Jesus is down the road here tonight. It's a few miles. I need to get down there. I need you to carry my butt down on my mat. Probably had a few people click, click. Hey, listen, I got a really bad service right here. A lot of static. I'm not hearing you real good. Call me back later today. But he found four men. They carried him down there. Can you imagine what happened, okay? I just want you to imagine. I'm not going to read no more scriptures, but I want you to imagine what happened that day. They got down there, and the place is packed out. They can't even get up to the door. So the guy on the mat probably said, hey, guys, you know, I'm so sorry. I, I, I'm so sorry. I should have I called down and booked a few seats. You know, I, 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 you can just take me back home. But see, the serious people that he called to carry him down, that's when they had to get serious. See, the guy on the mat started it all. But one of them four had to look at him and say, I am not carrying your butt back home. We're going to get you in to see Jesus today. And probably another one said, I know what we'll do. We'll just bust right through the front door and we'll just go in. And then probably the other one said, did you see the size of the bouncers in there? There is no way we're going to get through that door. See, it took everyone that that guy was with to get serious also. And see, that's a lot of the reasons why we're not successful. That's a lot of the reasons why God's not blessing us because the people we're associated with, you got to remember, I'm not talking about street ministry. I'm not talking about witnessing the people. I'm talking about association. I'm talking about who we hang around with, who we want to be. You know, so they all had to four get serious. So one of the guys probably said, I know what we'll do. Listen, I just looked in the window. Jesus is up front on a platform. Let's just go to the back wall. We'll knock a hole through the wall. We'll, we'll, we'll team up the horses and we'll, we'll put a log on the chariot and we'll just run it through the back of the building. And they said, no, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. I'm telling you what's going to happen. As soon as we try to bust through that wall, we're going to make noise. And them bouncers are going to run around the building. And they're going to beat the snot out of us. I believe this was happening. So one of them probably said, I know what we'll do. Let's go up on the roof. And one of them probably said, that's stupid. We ain't even got a ladder. One of them probably said, well, listen, 
I'll go down to the local hardware store. I'm going to get a ladder. See, there was a lot of serious things happened that day. They had to get up on the roof. So they got up on the roof and then they started, then they found out that it's a clay roof. So they had to go rent a jackhammer from somewhere, okay? So one of them had to run off. Now, it took everybody being serious. So, you know, they probably got the jackhammer. They got everything all ready. They're all standing up on the roof, and one's saying, no, we need to dig here, and the other one's saying here, and the other one's saying here. But one of them probably had to say, no, let's stop right now. We need to get serious. Let me go down and look in the window again. We need to get it exact before we bust through that roof. So he probably went down and he got exactly where Jesus was. He come back up on the roof and he told the guys, I'm telling you, Jesus is staying in one area. It's too packed. He's right here. We need to dig the hole right here. And they probably said, okay, let's start. But see, it just wasn't good enough yet. One of them probably said, wait a minute, stop. What are we going to do? Drop him down in the hole? He's going to break up his legs. Then Jesus got to mend his legs back. We got to go get some rope. So somebody had to run off and go find rope. Do you see how much had to happen that day for this miracle to be fulfilled? And it wasn't the guy on the mat that was fulfilling it all. He's the first serious guy that started setting it up. But it started taking every man that was carrying that mat to get serious too. So they probably got up there. They got the generator up there. They got, the, they got everything up on the roof. They got the rope. And they were just getting ready to get started. And another one said, wait a minute. We got to pull that ladder up or them bouncers are going to come up on the roof. They're going to throw us off the roof. Then Jesus got to heal us all. So they pulled the ladder up on the roof so there was no way they could be disturbed. The miracle was about to happen. So what happened that day, they got through the roof and it said they lowered the man down in front of Jesus. And Jesus healed him. Because of why? Because he's seen how serious they were. See, Jesus knew right away when they were on the roof. Jesus knew everything that was happening on that roof. And see, some of you here today, you're on the roof. Some of you here today is about to start a new life. You're on the roof. Some of you here today are getting ready to make some very big decisions. And I want to tell you, if you don't make them right, you can lose out on everything God has for you. You know, I talk about our farm all the time. 2017, our rice was so thick on the farm. It was so thick on the farm. Other farmers came to us, the German farmers, the South African farmers. They wanted to know what kind of seed planter did I use to plant. 
that field of rice. And I told them I used all these men's hands. And they didn't believe me. They said, no, no way. There's no way you planted all them fields with them guys' hands. They were serious when they planted the field. See, if I would have had men out there planting the field that was not serious, there wouldn't have been a crop like that. You know, I'm telling you, when I look out at people in a church, I don't really see the people. I see what God is about to do. But what happens to us, we don't equip ourselves with the right people and we don't get serious. You know, I know the word of God and I know it very well. The word says God will not give us any more than we can handle. That's why a lot of us don't have very much. Because we're not working on how to handle what little God gives us. People in America, they say to me all the time, they say, Pastor, I just got this old car and, and you need to pray for me that God gives me a new car. Why would God give you a new car and you can't wash the old one you got? Why would God give you a new car and your old one is full of garbage? People say to me, I need a new house. Everything's falling apart in my house. Pastor, please pray for me to get a new house. Why would God give you a new house and you can't mow the grass at the one you got? Why would God give you a new house and you can't clean the one you got? See, I started out with very little, very little, but I took care of it. And all of a sudden, God started seeing, wow, this guy's getting very serious with what he has. And then God starts giving you more and more and more. How many people do you know that was a high school dropout, could not read or write 30 years ago, don't have a diploma in nothing, and work over 440 people a day on a payroll? Probably none. That is not because I'm smart. I'm a hillbilly. That's because I'm a hillbilly that gave his life to Jesus Christ. See, God can take nobodies and he trains them in to being a somebody. God can take the most unlikely and he can make them the most likely. You know, a lot of people, they, they ask about the name Machine Gun Preacher, and a lot of people have a problem with the name Machine Gun Preacher. But God gave me that name. And people say, well, why would God do something so stupid? Why would God use stupid people and turn them into famous people? Why? Ask God. All I know is I couldn't read or write. I never had a diploma in nothing, but I speak in universities. I'm a motivational speaker for Mercedes-Benz. How many people do you know that's a motivational speaker for Mercedes-Benz, Mitsubishi, uh, Harley-Davidson, Fuso, and all these other big plants? And every time you see him, he's wearing Harley boots and a Harley shirt and tattoos all over him. I didn't choose to do it. God chose me because I stood up and said, here I am, God. See, it doesn't matter who you are or what you look like. 
if you're willing to stand up and say, here I am, God. God's going to use you. He'll do amazing, amazing things with you. There's no possible reason why I should be here today besides Jesus Christ. You know, I told the story in the first part of the service, and I want to tell it again. Can somebody bring me a chair up here? Somebody bring me a chair. <coughs> Just set it right here. 24 years ago, I was on a mountain in Colorado, and I was hunting. I love to tell this story. I was up on this mountain with my rifle hunting elk. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God came down on that mountain. And I could hear God begin to speak. And God said, I'm about to take you out to the nations to carry the message of hope. Are you willing to go? And I looked up and I said, God, we have a problem. So God said the second time, I'm about to take you out to the nations to carry the message of hope. Are you willing to go? And I looked up. I said, God, we, we got a serious problem. You know, what God wants to hear from you today is just yes or no. Do you want to serve him? Do you want to give him your life? Do you just want to try? Just try it. Yes or no? Do you want to believe in him? Yes or no? So I caught on. And the third time he said, I'm about to send you out to the nations to carry the message of hope. Are you willing to go? And I remember looking up and I said, yes. I walked out of the mountain that day down to a camper trailer where my wife was. And I opened up the door of that camper trailer and my wife says, oh my God, Sam, what happened to you? And I started telling her, you're not going to believe this. I just met God on the mountain. He said he's going to take me to the nations to carry the message of hope. This year already, I spoke in 27 countries. My wife fell to her knees and started weeping and crying, not because I talked to God. It was the first time in 10 years of marriage she ever heard me speak and I didn't stutter. Don't tell me God's not real. Don't tell me God can't use you. But the problem is, the problem is I hear it around the world. People come to me and they say, Sam, you know, I just, I just don't know how to treat God. I just don't know how to treat him. I joined one church down the road and I was having a good time. And all of a sudden they start telling me I got to do this. I got to do that. 
So I went down to another church. I joined another church, and, and they started telling me, I, I got to do this, I got to do that. And, and I just thought I had to obey the Bible. And then all of a sudden, they come out with another book. It was thicker than the Bible. It was the bylaws and constitution. And, and I just don't know what to do. I want to serve God, but everyone's telling me I had to do this, I had to do that. Serving God is very simple. God wants you to treat him the same way you treat this chair. It's very simple serving God. Religious people complicate it. Churches can complicate it sometimes. But God wants you to treat him just <clears throat> like this chair. You walked in here today and you just sat down. You put your entire life into that chair. You didn't come in and walk over to the chair and start to examine it. You didn't test it. Some of you should have tested the chair. I'm not saying no more. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you need to start testing your chair before you sit down. No, I'm just kidding you. No, I'm not. But anyways. <laughs> See, you had faith in something that can't give you nothing. You had faith in something that's completely dead. And you just put your whole life into it. You relaxed. These are nice chairs too. You could sit on these for hours and the butt not get sore. You relaxed. You put everything into that chair. That's exactly what Jesus Christ wants you to do. But he wants you to get in the palm of his hand. Just let him start guiding you. Let him start guiding you. Christians, we don't have to start guiding no one. We still need guidance. Let the Holy Spirit, let the counselor work on people. Let the pastors preach the gospel. But I tell you what, no one had to straighten my life out when I was a thug but me. Some of it went quickly. Some of it went slowly. God's still working on me. You know, in two minutes, I want to challenge the people here today. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, <clears throat> I'm talking about all your problems, all your disappointments, all your failures. You want to get rid of all of it. In two minutes, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. If you're here today and you've been in the church a long time and you just noticed that your fire has went out, Christians, I want you to think about something. Do you remember the first time you came into a church and you heard that message and your heart started racing? Do you remember? 
It seemed like the hair was standing up on your arms. You remember the first time. It should be like that every day. See, that's not up to the pastor to work on that. It's up to you to work on it. So in two minutes, if you need to give your life, rededicate your life, maybe you just need to stoke that fire up again. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. You know something that has put a, a damper, put a hold, is stopping the church worldwide is people have lost their joy. If you're here today and you have lost your joy, you've lost your compassion, you've lost your love for other people. You're not happy most of the time. In one and a half minutes, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. If you're here today and you have unforgiveness in your heart, you know, Christians ask me all the time, Sam, God's just not blessing me. Sam, help me out here. I've been going to the church. I've been paying my tithes, but God's just not blessing me. And usually the first thing I ask him is, who do you have in your life that you hate? Because the word of God says, if you have hatred in your heart, unforgiveness in your heart, he won't even hear your prayer. And people say, yeah, I, I do. I have, I, have a, I have one person I hate, but you don't know what he did to me when I was little. Get over it. Get over it. You don't know what happened to me when I was little. Get over it. Forgiveness is the biggest way to success with Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you need a healing, if you're here today and you need to get rid of anxiety, thoughts of suicide, you're here today and you know you need a new beginning. In 30 seconds, I'm going to ask you, and I don't want you thinking about it. I don't want no one looking around. In 30 seconds, if you need to give your life to Jesus, rededicate your life to Jesus, you need joy back in your life, you need love in your life, you need mercy, compassion for other people, you need a healing in your life, you need a miracle, you need a financial miracle in your life, I want you to just stand to your feet right now. Just stand up. Come on. Don't think about it. Just stand up. This is not about a bunch of little black children right now. This is not about kids in Africa. This is about you. Why did I come here today? I came here because of you. If you need something new in your life, a new beginning, just stand to your feet right now. Anytime as I'm speaking, you can stand up. But I want everyone to hear this closely. You didn't have to stand up. What we're about to do, you can do sitting right in your seat. I'm about to pray a prayer of blessing over you. You can latch on to it if you want it. Or you can just let it go. But before I pray that prayer of blessing, I want to give you the opportunity 
to make sure it's going to work in your life. I'm going to ask you to follow me in a short prayer. You can do this prayer setting right in your seat or you can do it standing up. You can think it in your head. You don't even have to say it out loud. You can whisper it or you can say it loud that everyone can hear it. And it's a prayer of salvation. Romans 10 talks about it. For anyone that does say this prayer today, I want you to go home and start reading in Romans. But read Romans chapter 10. But I want you to repeat this prayer after me. It's just a very short prayer. Everybody here, you close your eyes. And Christians, I want you to follow this prayer as, as loud as you can for me. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Repeat after me, our gracious Heavenly Father. I'm here today on my own free will, asking you, Lord, that you will forgive me of all my sins. All the times I didn't believe, all the times I've walked away. I ask you now, forgive me. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. And, you know, there's one thing about receiving. I believe to receive something, you have to put your hand out to receive. And I know men, I do men's conferences all around the world. I think the largest one Kevin booked me at was about 5,000 men. Can you imagine that? There's a stadium. And I know when I talk, start talking about raising hands, I know men, men are like, I ain't raising my hand to nothing. I'm not going to put my hand up. Listen, guys, I don't care how you instill it. You can act like you're digging at your ear. You can act like you're wiping the sweat off your forehead. You can be sitting down and you can just go like this. <clears throat> but any time during this prayer, this prayer is not just for everyone in the house. This next prayer is for you. It's not just for everyone in the house. This next prayer is for you. Every eye closed. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus. Father, we have heard a lot of things here today. Most of all, Lord, we know without a shadow of a doubt that you're real. And Father, it's still a little hard to believe everything that has been put on us today. But Father, I'm asking as a servant of God that your Holy Spirit would cling to everybody in your house. I'm asking that you would begin to strengthen your people here today. I'm asking that you would begin a miracle here today. Father, I want you to show the people here that it's not just by chance they ended up in this building today. It was by a divine appointment. 
Father, I'm asking that you would heal the one that needs healed. That you would place love and compassion on the one that lost it. Father, I'm asking that the one that needs forgiveness, you would just fill them so much with forgiveness here in this service today. Father, for the one that has anxiety, anxiety must be gone from this building. For the one that has had thoughts of suicide, we're not going to just cast it out today. We're going to kill it right here in this building. It cannot dwell on your people. Spirits of suicide must leave every mind and must die here today at this altar. Father, I'm asking in the name of your son, Jesus, that you would show yourself to people. You would begin a new life in people. You would shake your people, crush your people, rebuild your people here today. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, in a few minutes, when you walk outside that door, you make the first left. There's a little room there that I want to meet with anybody that rededicated their life or gave their life to Christ today. I usually don't do this, but I just want to talk to you about the next few steps. So if you've given your life to the Lord, maybe you're just, you're still not quite sure what's happening, okay? I just want to talk to you about the next few steps that you will be making this week. See, there's something about when we first give our life to the Lord, everything doesn't get better. It will probably get worse. But you have a king. You have a provider. You have someone that will never leave you, never forsake you, that's going to be with you all the time. So in the next few minutes, I know it's hard to walk out that door. I told everyone in the first service, you can walk out that door. Everyone will think you're going to the toilet. So you can just walk down the hallway and meet me in this room over here. But I want to tell one last story. And this last story is about the Mother Teresa Award. You know, everyone makes a big fuss over it. 330 million people in America. I'm the first American to receive it. I'm the first man to ever receive it that was not a millionaire. But it was all based on my feeding programs. Now I want you to imagine this. It's not based on the feeding programs on our orphanages. It's based on the feeding programs outside of our orphanages. And our feeding programs, we feed just in Kampala, Uganda, a day now, in the slum, over 2,000 children. And the children line up by the hundreds, hundreds of children. And every day we start feeding them, and a couple food here, a couple food here, a few hundred here, 1,000 here, 1,500 here. But every day, there's some children that don't get fed. We run out of food. You know, the only way I can feed all those children is if I have more people supporting what I do. You know, I do very well. I don't need to make any more money personally. 
I'm, my salary comes from the U.S. Whatever you give here today does not go to the U.S. See, when I'm in a country like Australia, whatever you give to me today goes directly to Africa. There's not a portion taken out for U.S. office or any other office. But I need your help to feed more children. You know, no one asked why the Ethiopian building. No one asked. <clears throat> that building's being built in a town called Nazareth. It's the fastest growing city in Ethiopia. And it's also the fastest growing, it's also the fastest growing city for street children. You go into the street at night and you see all these little children sleeping on the sidewalks. Hundreds, hundreds of children. Some of them have blankets, some of them have rags to cover up. See, that's not the bad thing. See, the bad thing is about two, three o'clock in the morning, somebody comes by and they rape those children and they molest those children. And they'll hand those children a few coins after they had their way with those children. They don't know what they just did. They just, all they know is they're going to eat something in the morning. They don't know what happened. They just got some coins for being hurt. Now, I know what I want to do. I'm not saying I never done it. I want to go thump somebody on the head. But we can't. But we can build another safe haven. We can build another orphanage. So when you think about what you can do today, and I want to get something straight here too, mission work begins at home. Mission work begins right here in your hometown. But if God moves on you to help me today, I need some help. I need to pull some children off the street. I need to feed some more kids. And everybody in here needs to say today, thank you, God, for not sending me. And then you need to say, thank you, God, for just giving me the opportunity to send some money. Because nobody can imagine what I gave up to live in Africa. I gave up a life. God bless you all. I love you. Please, people, if you made a commitment today, I'm going to the room now. So please come back. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.